So my first server, I think this was my first server, was when I stopped using my Celeron 300A based uh, Intel PC and I had learned how to install Linux and use Linux and I was running sort of local development environments and stuff on my machine and even forwarding some SSH stuff and like making it available when I was at school, all the cool stuff. But then I had this spare computer and I turned that into my first server. So it was dedicated to providing a website and probably had a lamp stack on it, I would imagine <laughs> it would. Um, and I think that was the beginning of me learning servers. Or if you go back to when I started learning Linux, but that was my first server and the first server I ran, the first server I, to some extent, administrated. And that was, let's see, I would have been 16 at the time, I think. What was your first server? It depends on how you count it. It's my first server was probably not my server but it felt like mine because it let me be online on irc 24 uh, 7. but i i got an account on a shell server that a friend of mine had uh, and i had an account on it for several years um, until he didn't really see the reason to uh, have that server online anymore and then I changed to another friend's shell server and somewhere around there I got myself a virtual private server on Linode or Linode or it's one of those names um, so yeah uh, and I think I still have that one uh, it's and a shell server yeah. yeah. So that's that's essentially uh having a user on a server with shell access, right? So you you get a an interactive shell. Exactly. So what it mainly does is running screen, which is running Irisi. Uh and I don't know if I actually have a web server on that server anymore. I had it until I reinstalled it or upgraded it last time. Uh but now I don't know. Because the important part is obviously the Irisi part. Which, for for those who missed IRC, is an IRC server. So it's essentially... Client, even. Oh, yeah, an IRC client. Um, and it's a way of keeping your Slack open, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because IRC does not, for example, keep uh, a chat history by default. Indeed. And if uh, you uh, miss some conversation or miss someone talking to you, you, you've you just missed it. But if you keep a server up and listening, you can just log in later and take a look and see what, what people have been saying. Exactly. So I basically pay five bucks a month to keep a shell server going. Uh, you, have a, you have an IRC subscription. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, <laughs> I don't really regret regret it. It's 
IRC is one of those arcane weird things that spark joy in me. That's why I do it. I think that's fair. But when did you start learning how to do shell things and set up servers and put web servers on them and all that? I I got my first... It's I cut my teeth on uh, Slackware and Linux from scratch uh, a very long time ago. Uh, I got my father's old computer. It was a an Intel... 133 megahertz computer with a wonky hard drive so that meant that the hard drive sometimes could just remove everything from itself and then i had to start over uh, which meant <laughs> yeah it's absolutely hopeless <laughs> convenient that, yeah that i uh, got very much um I knew some parts of the Linux from scratch book, the online book, by heart, because I did it so many times. Actually, I have a similar experience. Uh, I also started on Slackware because I thought it sounded cool. That's um, a good reason. And what I did with that was, so I printed out the manual or the install guide because, of course, I didn't have a spare computer to do it too uh at the time and then then i actually got some help setting it up with from a guy who already knew linux so and because he preferred openbsd i happened to learn openbsd while while i was learning linux but then as you do your first linux install you realize it's not necessarily that tricky aside from either having one piece of hardware that keeps keeps falling over or and not behaving or and this this was the case for me i had a an isa network card that just would not behave i had some sound cards that were extremely finicky a sound blaster um and so it's if now and then i would reinstall essentially from scratch or just keeping my home directory to see if I could make it work <laughs> this time or make <laughs> it work better or be able to switch this network card into this computer instead of that one because I was trying to, to optimize something. Uh, so I ended up in installing and reinstalling Slackware quite a few times. And after that, I also ended up installing and reinstalling Debian and at some point I tried Gen2 and uh, Mandrake so after a while I just turned into a for a brief period of time of I would guess it was six months or so I turned into a distro junkie and just tried everything I didn't do Linux from scratch but I looked longingly at it <laughs> I don't know why I did Linux from scratch it probably some kind of serious confusion it's yeah uh it was fun though i had no clue what the things i didn't did but uh it was fun i think an important 
it's important to try all the Linux distros uh, to get a feel for them. Is it really? Uh, <laughs> At this point, I'm not sure anymore. Uh, okay, it was important 20 years ago. Yeah, I think there there's definitely a point in sort of trying to find something that suits you, but I think the selection... I'm not sure the selection really matters. I think it's good to see that there are a few different kinds. Yeah. But I like if I would recommend something to someone, it's like, yeah, learn Ubuntu. You can branch out at any point after that, but just get comfortable with Ubuntu. Yeah, that's a, a very safe bet. My preference is sort of Debian just because it it's more... It's more stodgy and more reliable than Ubuntu, but for a desktop environment, I would. I think even for me, Debian would feel a bit limiting. Yeah, I have a friend who runs Debian or did run Debian. Uh, he's doing the distro jump around thing, okay. um, which makes him really good at installing Linux distros. Um, I don't know. No, Debian is usually what he falls back on when nothing else works anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then the cycle repeats. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But what's, what's your relationship to servers right now? You said you, you have a Linode. Uh, and then yeah. you've also, are, I imagine, have worked with servers off and on, at least in, in the past. I know... I know you might not be running the servers at the current work, at your current job, but... No, I mostly uh, push the big uh, Kubernetes buttons. Kubernetes in Swedish. Uh, we need to say it in all Swedish dialects we, we can <laughs> figure out. <laughs> Kubernetes. Jo, men visst. Kubernetes är that was yeah. absolutely terrible. Kubernetes. Uh, <laughs> yes. I'm I'm or Kates? K K8S. Kates, is that a thing? That's the abbreviation. Okay. K8S. Wow. So if cool. you see K8S, that's that's Kubernetes. And then there's K3S, which is Kubernetes, but uh less five less. Yeah, five less. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, so what I'm doing right uh, at work right now is mostly uh, pushing the Kubernetes buttons and it restarts pods and does all the Kubernetes things. Um, yeah, so you just essentially you push some code and it, it, it do the updates. <laughs> yeah, we have a web interface for doing the actual deploys because they are one step away from continuous integration, I think. Maybe more steps, but at least one. Um, so that's my relationship there. Um, and in my spare time, I have, well, I have my, my shell server. Uh, I also have a VPS on uh, DigitalOcean, I think, uh, which runs the registration and management system for gaming conventions, uh, which it just runs, um, so that's nice too. Yeah, so that's uh, a server you're administrating and mostly by yeah. hand, I imagine. It's not Yeah, absolutely. It's not deeply uh, automated and uh, CI no. CD and stuff. No, I do have a uh, Git hook 
though. So when I run a git push, it install it does all the things. So I think so it's basically Heroku at this point. Yeah, basically Heroku, but not managed. Unmanaged Heroku. This is good. There's no one managing it at all. <laughs> exactly. It's like like Uber for Heroku. Yeah. No, no, no. This is unmanaged. No, that means you're managing it. Yep. <laughs> so that's about the amount of servers I've been thinking about. Uh, I also have a backup server in a closet somewhere, uh, which runs FreeBSD and uh, ZFS on a couple of hard drives. Uh, and takes care of all the backups yeah once uh, i feel like once you figure out how to set up the server you end up just having a few around i mean it's it's yeah. ni- nice and useful so so this is me who doesn't have any servers yeah I have <laughs> that's you no no <laughs> server guy uh yeah. three servers exactly yeah but you also worked where you were responsible for a fair number of servers, if I yeah, remember correctly. Yeah, uh, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, I worked at a place. We did. <laughs> we had a had a phone book online, basically, as a website. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to have a phone book online as a website, it's very good if you can have the whole phone book in. Um, in memory so we had two machines with 192 gigabytes of memory each and must have been a fair bit at the time yeah that was a lot um they weren't too expensive though supermicro are very good at doing non-expensive computers Uh, depends on what you compare to of course but compared to the big guys so uh we ran two of those because if you run one you can you might as well run none when it comes to uh, uptime and availability the availability in the cap yeah two is one and one is none is that it exactly uh and then we had uh, i think we had two backend machines and a couple of machines more that were just spares we didn't really know what to do with them anymore they uh, started out with being front-end machines but they kind of <laughs> got uh, got relegated uh, or something like that uh, to be backend machines when we bought the one the really beefy ones um so the front-end machines, they served all of this stuff uh, in using, let's see, Lucene. Okay, yeah. Uh, that's the same tech that Elasticsearch is built on, right? Exactly. But I think it's less polished. I don't know, really. I haven't used Elasticsearch. I probably should um, someday. I think you probably should have... A few years ago at this point, I'm not so sure. Very good. Especially with the licensing changes recently. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so now I should just get a certificate that shows how good I am at managing the cloud. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess this was like, yeah, okay, we have two servers. And I've 
when I was doing the startup agency thing, we, we also ran sort of two servers. We had one that was essentially our development server, which had all sorts of gnarly stuff running. Uh, and then we had uh, the customer website and system server. And whenever a customer had a big enough project, we would set up something specific for them. Uh, but yeah, we ran two two hardware dedicated servers there. And nice. When we were when that when that startup crashed, um, we were heading into the era of the VPS, I would say. So we could definitely have had VPSs going in there, uh, but they were a lot more common uh, later. And on my next job, I worked exclusively with VPSs and we had a whole bunch, uh, maybe a dozen or so, uh, which was a, probably gro grossly over over provisioned in some ways, but we were doing microservices and uh, yeah, sometimes that happens. <laughs> so, so some machines had a lot of load, some had none. Were you really doing microservices and not macro services, but many? I, I think the the line is sometimes hard to to specify. I don't know how micro a microservice actually has to be, but this was. I would say we separated our concerns a little bit too much. So I would I would call it microservices because it wasn't. It, it would have benefited from being more microservices because we did not need microservices at all. Um, yeah. Yeah, but then, then I managed a bunch of stuff and then I had to get into setting up servers with Ansible for provisioning and sort of scripting the startup in a consistent way. So whenever you needed to add a new server, we added them by hand in the, in the cloud provider waited until it was started grab the default uh, or the set password for the root user and just handed that to so a python fabric script uh, hmm. and that one set it up so that it was ready for the ansible config and then the then i ran the ansible config with i i put the server into the inventory file and ran the ansible scripts to set it up to whatever it was supposed to be nice it was a pretty neat setup it was messy as all hell uh mostly because it was the first time any of us had used ansible uh, ansible does get a bit messy sometimes yeah it's the one with playbooks and yaml and stuff like that so playbooks and roles and groups and yeah it, it has a lot of terminology and it has a lot of concepts but it's very solid, I would say, at running commands on a server. And without you necessarily having to specify each and every command exactly uh, exactly right. Since it offers sort of an API for, okay, I want to shove this directory of files over there. Yeah. And uh, I want to make sure that this service is running. Or I want to make sure this service is restarted. Or I want to make sure. So it's supposed to be... A bit declarative it doesn't feel declarative to me it feels like scripting but just specifying the intended outcome sort of uh, that sounds slightly declarative at least yeah i would say 
<laughs> to me, Ansible works as something slightly declarative. Uh, <laughs> yep. But it's useful. Definitely useful. It provides a lot of useful APIs. And then we managed uh, this decent chunk of servers and uh, we ran sort of a new relic for keeping track of uptime and CPU usage, memory usage, application performance monitoring. So we could find out if a request was getting slow, see, uh, get some introspection in how the queries were performing, that sort of thing, which was incredibly useful. And New Relic is hilariously expensive compared to what <laughs> what it feels like they should be charging. These days I would go for probably Datadog, which seems to be the most reasonable entrant. Cool. I have no idea what's, um, how that market, what the, <laughs> which provider is the best there. It's, I think the, oh, we did our own <laughs> monitoring and metrics. Good Lord. Yeah. The most uh, important part. So I remember there was something we installed on when we did the agency startup thing. Uh, we had something installed on the servers which provided us graphs so we could at least see if disk space was hmm. uh, heading in the wrong way, wrong direction, uh, yeah. too fast, or if there had been a memory spike or anything. And that just rendered graphs um, probably with a by-the-minute cron job or something. I don't remember yep. what it's called, but it's actually pretty neat. Uh, could it be Moonin? Yeah, that would be it. I think it's Norwegian and written in Perl. Yeah. Yeah, so Munin I think was was a very decent sort of base level approach to just keeping track of a server. Yeah. And then uh every time someone suggested that we need something more involved, they would threaten to bring in Nagios, and I've never seen that actually happen. <laughs> uh I actually configured Nagios a long time ago. It was absolutely horrible. <laughs> um, I think it might be twofold uh, why I think it's horrible. Uh, for one reason, it the configuration is confusing and the syntax is uh, quite ugly. I think it either is XML or looks like XML, um, like the format of the Apache configuration, something like that. Uh, so that's one of the reasons, and it's tricky to get right. Uh, the other reason was that it sent me SMSs uh, at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. I'm very glad I don't do on call. Um. Yeah. I. No, I don't want to do on call. <laughs> it makes me uh, lose my sanity. Yeah. And I, it's it's definitely a bit of a privileged position to just be able to not do on call, but that's uh, that's part of sort of negotiating your way through through life with clients and yep. work. Uh, and in many sort of in a team context, it would be very hard to say no, I will not be doing on call because if everyone yeah. else is, why wouldn't you? Exactly. Uh, but I think so. I wonder if the ideal for on call is sort of okay, we do daytime 
on call and we make sure to have people in all time zones that we want to support seems legit because then like yeah okay your day can be to clean up tech debt until something happens and then you you do on call yeah uh, or then you do firefighting essentially and as long as it is, uh, as it is okay to not get anything done except for firefighting it's cool yeah yeah i think that's the that's the ideal like don't expect someone on call to to be actually achieving much unless it just happens to be quiet and if they don't achieve much and it's quiet well be happy nothing nothing bad happened exactly yeah then um, right now my server situation so for underjord so the website is just pushed into an s3 bucket and then i have cloud front in front of it so the amazon cdn and i don't think that will remain the case for the long term Uh, i just don't particularly care for amazon and i don't care for the uis i don't care for their apis it's all (laughs) i i don't see much upside to it aside from um, it's useful to know the stuff because there's a lot of there's a lot of that in work these days yep Uh, and i did mostly pick amazon because i was learning it I think that will end up on Cloudflare at some point, mostly because I want to screw around the Cloudflare workers for Edge. What's a Cloudflare worker? So it's Edge compute stuff. And it means that you can cache things closer to Edge locations and you can update them in a clever way. Yeah. Cool. Um, So essentially small JavaScript applications that respond and they have a distributed key value store that you can shove all your pages into. And there's a bunch of interesting stuff that you can do. And I want to screw around with it. I've played with it some. But uh, then we have sort of the more dynamic parts of Underjord. And uh, so I have a few different things I'm, I'm running. Uh, the Wisps, which is probably the most noticeable thing. If you go into my website and make sure that magic is enabled, uh, so that's a little tick a tick box you can do, you can apply up in the corner. You will see indicators for where other people are on the site and how many people are currently on the site. And you can actually see small uh, geometric figures swoosh around the page as people scroll and read. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's a very fun thing, and it's it's a fairly simple uh, Phoenix application. And I host this on a Linode. I I'm renting a decently like semi beefy Linode, I, a few CPUs and a decent chunk of RAM, just because I want to be able to run a bunch of different small services on it. Yeah. When we did uh, record that uh, course, uh, or the Elixir teaching Elixir school stuff that uh, actually we we published recently, uh, yep. that was running off of that server. And um, ah. I, I have a bunch of different small projects running there. Beanbloggers.com is running there as well. And those are just 
Phoenix applications and uh, so I they it has an nginx I don't think it has a database installed at all besides SQLite <laughs> but I would I wouldn't hesitate to put Postgres on it I just don't think I have maybe I have my SQL or Postgres on it for so my sisters have a website which I host I wonder if they use SQLite I don't remember um, that would be delightful though I think it uses SQLite it's, it's running Ghost because there's really no good CMSs to choose from and Ghost is fairly fairly nice for simple sites at least let's see Ghost is the blogging platform yeah it was sort of the WordPress killer for in Node.js it, it had a Kickstarter okay. back when I was running that agency yeah Wow, that's a long time ago. Yeah, I think they're on their third major. Uh, so they've, they've cool. done a few steps forward. Uh, but I still felt like it was unfinished. <laughs> it was very polished in many ways, but it was, it was weird. Yeah. Uh, but then I'm r- running a thing called Supervisor, which is now to be mixed up with the Elixir concept Supervisor, uh, which just makes sure my services are up and if they crash it will start them again yeah the python demon yeah herder demon wrangler of some sort yeah Uh, i usually use uh, system d for that it's surprisingly nice to write uh, configurations for system d which make sure that the processes stay alive or just restart them when they fail and it's kind it's not straightforward, but a bit, <laughs> a crooked forward to uh, just hook all logging into the same place and all that. Yeah, I should probably get comfortable with systemd. Uh, I just never really have. Uh, mo- mostly, like much like I haven't spent a lot of time writing init.d scripts, whatever. Was that system5? What was that called? That's system5 style... Uh, init files or something. It's yeah, I've mostly used supervisor because I find very straightforward as far as config files and behavior goes. Uh, it's it's not flawless, but it it really gets the job done. Nice. What I would tra- probably transition to if I was only running Elixir services is to set them up with Erlang Heart, which is a means it launches the application with a separate process that will just keep an eye on it. And if it goes away or becomes unresponsive, it will uh, start it again or or call you or whatever. You can set it up to do essentially whatever. Cool. Uh, but, but typically you use it to restart the application. Yeah. And then they would have their... They would essentially manage themselves once started. I would still want a startup script for when starting the machine. So I would end up with systemd either way. Or something like, something similar. Yeah. Then there's a bit of cert bot and let's encrypt, I guess. I'm also doing there. Uh, I I'm working on sort of transitioning my Elixir services to doing that themselves, uh, but I'm only currently doing that with one of them. I think it's Bean Bloggers. Um, yeah. The search button, let's encrypt stuff. It's one of those things that I should really sit down and automate. But I 
just it's never do it. It's very automation friendly. So, yeah, but so four times a year, I get an email which says certificate, and then I renew it manually. <laughs> but I think you can get the cron job installed automatically. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so are you saying that I really should take that hour or something to have this done once yeah. and for all? Yeah, take that hour. <laughs> you might even get 45 minutes back. Wow. Yeah, uh, let's encrypt. That's one of those things that people coming up today will hopefully never have to realize how annoying SSL has been. I thought you were going to do the curmudgeon. Oh, they have it so easy. Like, thing. no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't wish old SSL on anyone. It's like, okay, combine some certs, make them in whatever format Apache likes. Oh, right. And we're using Nginx. That's a different format uh, slightly. Yeah. Uh, we have the chain, right? Yeah, there's a chain in somewhere. Oh, you need the intermediate cert. Great. Okay, let's go manually into this site and generate a new cert. Well, it will be done uh, eventually. <laughs> and are we buying per year or are we buying for for longer? No, we're buying per year because we're cheap. Okay. Um, or can we buy a wildcard? No, they're pricey. <laughs> but we really, <laughs> really should have a wildcard cert because they're so useful. Um yeah. Yeah, it was a heck of a thing. Yeah. And very finicky to get it working in my experience. And then there was stuff like So when I started doing SSL setups, I know I had a version of it must have been Apache that was just before it got SNI. Uh, which I don't remember what it's stand for right now, but it's where you can use SSL and subdomains essentially, or rather multiple V hosts on the same subdomain yeah. in your config, uh, because it does a, a bit of uh, talking back and forth to figure out like, okay, yeah, which subdomain are you actually looking for? Because we have a few different ones. And before that was available, I could essentially not, use subdomains for something that needed SSL and that was a pain. Oh yes. And all the snake oil certs to just be able to yeah, do things kinda securely when developing or something like that. So So we both essentially learned servers out of some uh deep nerd interest in linux is that fair to say yeah also also i uh when i was was a teenager starry-eyed teenager i uh my first php uh, application i started out with the c plus plus and php that combo is um mind melting uh but they both have semicolon so that's good and i uh, said to my friends who actually knew how to program but had better things to do that I will write this registration form uh, member management system thingy I think it was for a LARP or something 
uh, or for a gaming association organization thingy förening is surprisingly hard to translate yeah uh, non-commercial organization i guess uh, yeah yeah the, the whole idea doesn't really translate into nco indeed we need we need some uh, folkrörelse kulturimperialism yeah people movement uh... all the english speaking people will love this so uh, anyway <laughs> socialist sweden has föreningar yes uh, it's a good thing uh, it makes it easy to organize people into doing hobbies together or something uh, it's amazing so i i was a member of this uh, larping organization and we uh, wanted to organize a larp or something uh, so we needed a registration form this was before google forms with at least five years maybe ten and uh, uh, So I said, I can write this. I can do this. Uh, this is simple. Very nice. Uh, I think I was 16 at the time, so everything was simple. There, there was one small catch, though. Guess which what it, Guess which one? Sorry, guess what? Guess what the catch was. I'm not sure. I couldn't program. Oh, inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, my father had bought a PHP book, um, uh, one of the O'Reilly ones with an animal on the front. I don't remember which one. So I took the book, read it through really fast and started programming <laughs> in really, yeah, it wasn't very good this, um, but I think I got something to work. Uh, and I put it online on uh, Sverox web hosting because Sverox had done web hosting by then for quite a long time from the middle of the 90s, maybe. They were early. Uh, and uh, they were super early. Uh, one of the the ordföranden, uh, this works out well. This will be the s s Swedish, I don't know. Who was chairman of the board? Um, chairman of the board. Or at least chairman. I'm not sure it's a board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> certainly the chairman of something. <laughs> chairman of PHP, yes. Exactly. Uh, yes. Uh, so that chairman, uh, one of the chairman of Sverok was Jonas Birgersson. Uh, which uh, later started the uh, Framtidsfabriken. Okay. Which was a really hip company for a couple of years and then the bubble went. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, let's see. Doesn't Didn't that then go into sort of Tieto and all of that? It yeah. might have early Swedish I internet no idea, sort of nineties dot com bubble stuff at least. Yeah. So uh Sverox web hosting was important for that because it was free for uh the member organizations. Uh, so I could just put stuff there and have it work. Uh and that was really cool. Yeah. Did you manage to build a form? 
I did. I think I did that a couple of iterations and we got some uh, registrations and stuff and things kind of worked out. Sweet. So, yeah. I'm really happy that the people I built the form for uh, didn't just go, nah, you can't do that. <laughs> but that they actually <laughs> went, sure, go ahead. Yeah. Have fun. Here are the user credentials. Don't do anything overly stupid. Yeah, I think getting those opportunities is essentially where you where you get to turn yourself into a programmer. Sometimes a professional programmer, but often often it starts with amateur opportunities. Or I think it used to. I don't know if that's how it works for. Let's say you're a teen now. Programmer is already a known good career, so to speak. So, to speak. so yeah. I am. I've only really spoken to one of the of the youths that like did programming. So, I worked at a, an ed tech company previously, and one of the schools we worked mm-hmm. with reached out and was like, yeah, we have this kid who's really into programming and he's built a fairly cool thing. He was trying to build sort of the internal Facebook for for that school because he'd been he'd watched the social nice. network and was inspired. And wow. Yeah, I I guess like I grew up on hacker stories. And I don't think you get those as easy these days you don't get the the sort of uh, slightly criminal uh, people screwing around on telephone lines and um, and owning unsecure servers and uh, generally just doing it for the love of hacking i think that story has faded significantly and a lot of the storytelling around programming now does center around sort of silicon valley like vc silicon valley essentially yeah and i guess if i was sort of into programming or into computers and saw the social network and was in my teens i mean of course that would be a bit inspiring it's it's a nerdy kid that that succeeds that's a strong story. It's like Star Wars, but Facebook. It's like I don't personally find Facebook or any fang very inspiring these days. Nah. But I can also see how, like, you find your inspirations where you can. And what what stories do you have access to? What mediums do you have access to? It's not like most developers coming up today are unlikely to start looking for the frac text files i think i think that's fair to say they the frac text files so frac was a hacking zine oh or yeah on the bbs era cool that ran for ages it it's existed for a long time but i think it's like there are so many other resources now that you don't have to go looking for the smashing the stack text file if you want to know how to hack. 
<laughs> and you don't have to sort of scrounge together bits and pieces of tutorials to figure out how to program PHP. There are free courses out there. You have free code camp. You have so many other resources that I think the landscape is entirely different to, to a large extent. I still learn the same way, mostly. <laughs> I still look for a, a decent enough tutorial or a getting started guide, and then I bash at it to do what I want it to do. Yeah, same here. Stack Overflow is also important. Uh, to If I'm lucky, I get an explanation of why things work the way they work, but at least I get the code. As a Stack Overflow, I consider a debugging step more than <laughs> <laughs> Or I don't remember how to do this, uh, like refresher place. Yeah. But essentially, like, the way I learned how to program and the way I learned how to deal with servers is very tightly linked because I needed a server to do half of the programming I wanted to do because I wanted to do websites. I wanted to do web applications. And then I needed to have them, like I wanted them to be online. So I had to put them somewhere. Yep. And then you got into sort of dynamic DNS and managing a crappy IP and <laughs> you ended up learning so much because of that. And I think, so when I talk to people that are becoming developers today, they usually learn the programming just fine. But the server stuff is a deep pit. And I, I don't see how you approach it in a sane way uh, at a grown age, like I did it in my teens. I had infinite time, uh, stupid amounts of boneheadedness and didn't know what was good for me. So I learned how to use servers. <laughs> so you didn't, yeah, you didn't need the sane stuff. You just needed a hobby that took a lot of time so yeah, that you weren't um, bored. Yeah. I don't, envy the current state of affairs. Uh, I'm happy that they don't have to deal with SSL in the same manner. And I think there's a lot more yeah. useful tooling around a lot of the stuff. So I think Docker is both helpful and a hindrance uh, in learning. Absolutely. I don't think you'll learn a lot about putting something on a server by using Docker, but it makes putting things on a server easier as long as someone has prepared the server even if it they haven't you can package and set up everything you need for running it on a server with sort of docker compose and then you can shove docker compose onto the server and go docker compose up assemble <laughs> and uh, suddenly the application is stood up on the server and then cool. you need to figure out what the port situation is yeah i it's hmm one of the things I've encountered when, um, yeah, I will not give um, where I have encountered this because this is seriously embarrassing. So if you want to set up a, I need to tell this without sounding, um, <laughs> Bitter or curm I can't speak today. Have you heard that? Curmudgeonly. 
Yes, exactly that one. No one wants to be a curmudge. We have way too much. Exactly, we have way too much contempt in developer culture. So I'm trying to not add more. Um, but let's say you want to do a fast and nice uh, Node.js application. Yeah. So the parts of a fast and nice Node.js application is a good framework. I've heard Express is good. Pick anyone. Uh, and then it... Nuxt, Next, or Gatsby. You, you have so much stuff there. Yeah. Exactly. You can pick all of them. Yeah. Just smash them in there. Um, yeah. Uh, and then a server is... A database server is needed. And if you are a... Cur that word... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. I <laughs> absolutely can't say it. I don't know if I'm cursed or something. <laughs> Um, be nice to your local witch kids. <laughs> um, and so if you happen to be uh, old like me, uh, SQLite or Postgres are perfect database servers. Yeah, so you but install Mongo. Bingo! Because Mongo is the new hotness or... It's the old hotness, but still, it's it has some popularity in boot camps and stuff. Yeah, uh, which is kind of cool. I don't know why. I'm old and curmudgeonly, so I uh, use SQL. Yeah. Um, so combine all this with Docker, and you get open database ports to the internet. So... Uh, I've been doing some, some hosting in a secret context. This will sound so bad. But <laughs> let's say I've been doing hosting for my local Node.js witch. Which explains why I can't say the word. Yeah. Um, and the ports were open and we got a Bitcoin. <laughs> ex what's the name for that? Extortion? Uh, uh Blackmail? Yeah, sure. Something. They they took the data, encrypted it, and said, please, <laughs> send us Bitcoin. Otherwise, you won't get it back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> MongoDB had some interesting defaults. Yeah. Or did you use Mongo, or was it something else? We used Mongo. Yeah. We did. Um, so that was kind of a bummer. And I think this occurred at least three times before we locked it down. <laughs> it was so stupid. So, so stupid. I imagine the, there wasn't that much important data involved. No. Yeah. No important data at all. <laughs> Just blast or, it and do it all over again. And then, yeah. Then the bots find you again. Uh, yeah, yeah. This this can also happen to sort of WordPress install processes. But Nice. Do they hijack? I think they're better secured these days. Honestly, I think WordPress has secured their, <laughs> their installs better than... Uh, maybe Mongo defaults used to be. I cool. hope MongoDB has shored this stuff up. I remember there was there was definitely a big issue at some point. Yeah. I think we, we had problems when we locked down Mongo. We couldn't reach it uh, with Docker. So then uh, someone unlocked Mongo, so to speak. And then <laughs> yeah. we got our data locked again. Yeah. 
there are definitely ways of of managing that with docker and docker compose and like making them talk on a pers- private network and stuff yeah we didn't know how to do that uh but yeah it, that's probably not what it does by default which is so my issue with with the docker thing is probably mostly that it's so much abstraction on top of just running a server process that it means that i think a lot of people getting into development will be hesitant to just shove something on a server yeah and i think that's good experience to gain because most problems can be solved by shoving the stuff on a server Oh yes. While Docker it it does help with shoving things on a server, but it's mostly intended to to enable more intricate cloud stuff where where the sort of standard way of running containers and the standardization around containers gives you capabilities that you wouldn't have with arbitrary scripts and like php is set up one way ruby is set up another way python is set up a third way all of them have their own gateway interfaces and uh, so like docker certainly fulfills a role and it's also very useful in development except i also find it untenable in much of development because it's been so messy for mac os Ah, yeah. Then you need... Do you need to run it in a VM? So it works flawlessly, but it's very, very slow. I recognize that one. Yeah, and and that's made me not want to use Docker mostly for local dev, just because it causes slowness and I'm perfectly fine at setting it up myself. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes these tools get in the way of learning how to do it at a at a bit of a lower level that's also to some extent more accessible and more flexible like if you learn how to set up your own vps you're you're good for learning how to administrate servers how to set up websites how to set up web apps how to self-host in your own home yep like that's the path of learning a lot of things while if you if you figure out like, okay, I get this Docker container up on Elastic Beanstalk or uh, some kind of Kubernetes and uh, I run one instance of it or like I, I get pushed to Heroku. Like I think Heroku at least is sort of upfront about abstracting away all your server know-how. Yep. I think that's a fair place to start. Yes, absolutely. It's you can also say it like if I want to start a blog, uh, I probably should just create an account on wordpress.com. Yeah. Probably. Or similar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise I will have this whole pile of exciting procrastinations to take care of. Like which server provider should I use or which... Yeah, VPS provider. Um, which uh, distro should I use? Which blogging platform installed on this distro should I use? Maybe I can tweak the theme <laughs> or build a new one and so on and so on. Um, maybe I don't want to blog really. 
and that's the issue. So I think it's it's as um, uh, Heroku and uh, other platforms as a service. It is a platform as a service provider, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's the typical name for it. They they are good that it, they um, let people start with the important things now. Yeah. And I think if if what you're doing is sort of I want to build a business or I want to get started blogging, I think you should reach for the ready-made tools in many of the cases. Uh, yeah. And it doesn't super matter if you pick the right one. Just pick one that works for you. Yeah. But if what you're trying to do is learn how to be a software developer... Well, that's a completely other thing. Then I think like diving into fighting the theme and uh, all of that stuff is a perfect way to spend a bunch of hours learning how to do annoying things that that you need to know. Totally. Uh, and also some of it's very fun and creative. Like I, I can enjoy learning how to do a new thing with servers or yeah. setting up an environment just so or making something look pretty uh and i care much much more if i did most of the work (laughs) (laughs) yeah when it comes naturally yeah so i think it's tricky today uh to figure out where to even start with learning servers i would probably say get comfortable using linux because even if you get comfortable with desktop linux plus terminal yeah that will be a good basis for learning how to deal with servers because servers these days are almost exclusively linux servers yep if they're bsds they are very similar to linux servers and that documentation is good so if they're windows they have nothing in common with any other server platform (laughs) And everything happens through uh, uh, dialogue windows, preferably with those three widgets. Yep. Uh, Yeah. I think a very good start, uh, as in many other cases, is to go and get a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, sure. Uh, Preferably version two or three. I I like four for this type of thing. I mean, that can do a lot of stuff. I haven't used it. I only know that version one of the Raspberry Pi is very slow. It's very slow, very weak. Uh, So the Pi 3, I would say, is the one that has best support for everything you might want to do, including, uh, so in the Elixir space, we have the Nerves project. And that one supports version 3 very well. Uh, Support for version 4 is is better and better. Uh, It's just that they changed a lot of stuff with version 4. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of compatibility things got lost. But the four is a magnificent little beast. It can do do two four K displays. Wow. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's a wretched, wicked little machine machine. It's so much fun. I need to I need to get one of those and two four K di- displays so I can sit and watch the uh svt's slow tv where they show elks walking about (laughs) all day while i'm working yeah yeah but the raspberry pi is a good place to start yeah 
So by default, you would probably install Raspbian, which is Debian with uh, specific uh, Raspberry Pi patches and packages installed. It's a very good place to start. It's a perfectly fine desktop experience and uh, uh, will also serve fine as a server. So that's a good place to start. Totally. So, and if it could also work to um, uh, go get a VPS for five bucks a month, there are cheaper ones too. Yeah, renting a VPS. So if you're going to be a professional developer, if you're heading into that direction and you can spare sort of five bucks a month or uh, ideally 50 bucks a month. So... The difference, the <laughs> difference there is whether you get a good experience or a bad experience. I don't know. I, I'm totally fine. <laughs> you, you can get a decent VPS for twenty, uh, but uh, but the cheapest ones are are pretty bad in my. But Maybe it's because I only use it for IRC. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Probably, yeah. Uh, and maybe they're better than I than I think. But yeah, it's like if if you're heading into becoming a developer and you can spare, uh, like, let's say 20 bucks, putting 20 bucks into having a server and figuring out things to put on it. I yep. think that's a good starting place. Totally. And that sort of requires learning a bit about the uh, terminal and bash and stuff. So I wonder where you learn that these days. Uh, LFS? <laughs> 